Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Digiday podcast. I'm Michael Berge, Senior Editor of Media Buying and Planning for Digiday. And we are back in Cannes, France for the Cannes Lions Festival of Creativity. It's another lovely day. It's still pretty hot out there, but uh, I'm in a lovely suite here in the Hotel Martinez along the Quazette. And I'm happy to have as my guest this morning, Arun Kumar, who is the Chief Data and Marketing Technology Officer for Interpublic Group, also known as IPG. He's also the CEO of Kineso and uh, one of the smartest people in the world of data and marketing and technology. So Arun, it's lovely to have you here. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. As always, a pleasure. The pleasure is mine. Let's start with, um, you've got a pretty complicated title. So let's start with, give us just a quick overview of how you work throughout IPG involving Axiom, the data company, what Kineso is, and how Matterkind fits into all that. If we were to unpack all of that, essentially my role is to set up the uh, data and technology infrastructure that enables our agencies uh, to successfully uh, help people find their brands. And um, Axiom obviously brings in not just data capability, but also its ability to manage first-party data. Uh, they are also great in connecting various parts of the offline and online ecosystems. Uh, Kineso is um, our software play. And what uh, Kineso does very well is in building a platform which is what we call the marketing intelligence engine that spans uh, across Axiom, Kineso, and Matakind, and increasingly across the rest of IPG. So think of it as our platform on which various applications exist that can be used by either agencies or clients uh, directly uh, in order to uh, drive effectiveness and efficiency in various parts of marketing. And what we've done effectively is connect these various capabilities together um, and when we come to Matakind, Matakind is the way by which we uh, are able to activate against a lot of this intelligence in the addressable space. Yep. Um, and so the three of them almost become like the spine on which uh, a number of um, uh, IPG client solutions rest. Um, and we make sure that there is access given to these, not just in the media companies, but also increasingly in the creative and digital worlds and the rest of IPG. Yep. Well, I'm glad you just said uh, digital and creative worlds, because here we are at the Can Lions. I know you have uh, served on data juries before. Everyone seems to accept the idea that data has a seat at the table when you're talking about creativity. Um, and I know you've got some strong thoughts on this. But where where can it go from here? How can data take creative to the next level? I think um, one of the things that we've we've seen and I experienced as part of the juries was over the years, the fascination has gone rightfully so away from how you orchestrated the various data sets. How did you get the pipes connected? And, you know, a lot of the, a lot of us nerds like that part about how hard it is to get these various bits and pieces yeah. and bobs to talk to each other so that you're able to get some genuine intelligence out of it. I think, though, that we're in the age of so what. Mm. And that comes down to what is the impact on people? What is the impact on the environment? Is this sustainable? What is this doing to 
the agenda of DEI? Uh, what biases are you propagating or what yeah. biases are you correcting for? And most importantly, what's the actual experience going to be for people? And that's that's actually a very good thing because it, it essentially forces you to come down to um, it's really great that the pipes work and you've got all this fancy data and you're able to get some insights, et cetera. But how are people using those insights? So how are your people getting access to them mm -hmm. and how are they actually using it? And how is that translating into work? Which when you, when you think about it, seems very obvious, but it's not always obvious in the work that comes out. And that increasingly is starting to become the focus as it rightfully should be. So where does this take us? This should take us to the point where um, the process by which uh, data is used yeah. to arrive at an idea needs to be more standardized. It, ne it needs to become more institutionalized into the creative process. Uh, I'm not saying that we're anywhere close to that, but I am saying that there are a lot of movements forward in that direction. And you will see that a lot of the work that gets rewarded is getting judged on the impact that it creates. And a lot of attention is now being paid to the results section of the write-up or what have you actually achieved and why yeah. is that unique? And uh, a lot of the fascination has gone away from how did you actually get there? So the, the impact of creativity is more important than the creative process in and of itself. Uh, and I think that that is what will ultimately lead to a better use of data in the creative process. Especially because data will help tell that story. Um, yes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We're, we're on the cusp of Web3 and the metaverse where I imagine the flow of data off of consumer behavior will take on completely new forms. It's safe to say that data in the wrong hands has not been used well by some in, in a in a metaverse or Web3 environment, what kind of safeguards can one put into place and how will consumers have a say in, in, in that kind of world? I think um, what we need to avoid is uh, the sort of Wild West that we had 10 years ago yeah. where uh, platforms proliferated data proliferated. There was very little thought given to the structure behind that. Mm -hmm. And I think as an industry, one of, one of the places we should look forward to is medicine. Because if you look at medicine, right, medicine has made huge technological advancements. And there are areas of medicine that we haven't yet uncovered. However, there is one fundamental set of principles that govern it, which is the Hippocratic Oath, which is not something that they came up with now, which yeah, is thousands always of years old. thousands of years old. But there are some fundamental principles. So no matter where you go in medicine, no matter what you um, discover, there are certain ethics surrounding it which have come from the principles. And I think our problem is we're trying to solve, uh, we, are, we as an industry, and I mean a broader industry, have not aligned on what those principles are. Mm -hmm. We're asking ill-prepared legislators and bureaucrats to step in and solve the problem. And uh, the reality is that when you step into the metaverse or other places, you are absolutely right. There is going to be more data exhaust that comes out of that. 
uh, also with the rise in computing power, the ability to uh, crunch that data and make sense out of it is also increasing at an exponential rate. Yep. And I don't think that, you know, when we make broad statements like all laws cover inferred data as well, I don't think those are solutions. I, I just think that humanity will suffer if we don't have standardized laws whereby even before we enter these new worlds, there are some clear rules and principles. I think social media would be so much of a better place if we had followed the approach to medicine that. Mm -hmm. What are certain first principles that we align to, sign up to as professionals, as industry bodies, and what will we accept and what will we not accept? The reason why we trust doctors today is not because of the laws, because we know that they've been trained in a certain way, they have certain principles, and they've had those principles for years. I think as data scientists, if we don't move towards that space, we're, we're never going to get the trust of people. And, um, and I think that when the metaverse, whatever you call it, yeah. becomes a reality, I think it's, it's, it's going to be incumbent on us and as an industry, at least from a marketing perspective, to be very, very clear about the rules yeah. of what we will and what we won't do. And I think sometimes we have a hard time accepting that. We just want to bury our heads in the sand and say someone else will fix it for mm -hmm. us. Either the platforms will do it or legislators will do it or consumers will demand something. Until that time, if I get a cheap CPM, who the heck cares? I'll just keep doing it. I don't think you can take that approach anymore because I think the backlash is going to be severe. Well, you've been an advocate of a national privacy standard or, or kind of, you know, data regulation standard rather than CCPA and, and GDPR. Um, that does put it in the hands of legislators. How, how, do you how does one establish a national set of rules without it, without the legislators determining that out outcome? I think, unfortunately, when it comes to privacy, um, again, as an industry, we've let ourselves down by not being present at the table. Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore, I think the, the, the horse has already bolted. Now it's a question mm -hmm. of, how best can you wrangle it? And how best can you ensure that all interests are fairly represented? And the best way I would, uh, I would describe the situation is how many times when you pick up your, your cell phone and you make a call, do you really think about what is the handset that the other person has or what carrier they're on or whether they're on 5G or LTE or 4G? Do you really care? You don't. You press the green button you expect the call to be put through, it goes through, right? True. Why can't data transfer be like that? Why does it need to be that each individual pipe owner has their own standards? The reason why tel telecom works is because there is a national standard that's been set up. There's an agency that oversees it. There's a fair set of principles that govern everybody. You can be a small telco player. You can be a big telco player. You could be Apple or you could be... Uh, a handset maker just down the street, it doesn't matter. You have to go to the standard. Why is it that there are no standards for APIs? Why is it there are no standards for what data can get passed and what data can't get passed? Unfortunately, the rules that we have right now are all catering to the lowest common denominator. Let's wipe everything out because the people who are sitting in front of many of the people making decisions are the privacy activists who are saying ban everything. 
But but they're saying ban everything because there's been some bad behavior. Correct. I mean, there's some reason for the agitation to set more rules because we've had bad actors in the industry who have abused uh, the data that they're getting from consumers. Mm -hmm. um, so well, let's, yeah, let's, let's pause there. Yeah. And let's let's look at who has actually abused it. Okay. If you look at some of the biggest players who have abused it, it all started with uh, Snowden talking about all the data that has been collected about Americans. Mm -hmm. It started with Cambridge Analytica, all used for political purposes or other purposes. Yep. Can anyone tell me whether GDPR has solved for government surveillance? Have we stopped that? Have Certainly any not. of the use cases which originally related to the abuse of data sets, have they been solved? No. Instead, what has been focused on is how many banners are targeting me around the internet. It's a pesky problem. I give you that. It's irritating, sure, but it's not the one that leads to credit card theft. It's not what leads to cybercrime. And I get it that there is a very thin line between that. But what the marketing industry has done is it has stood up and basically put its head over the parapet, got itself shot at, and not done anything to disabuse anyone of those notions. Mm -hmm. First of all, the the you know many of these legislations say cookies are personally identifiable. How is it personally identifiable when it gets wiped off in 30 days or you have the ability to remove it? Like again, we've now conflated cookies with privacy. Mm -hmm. Well, there's not going to be cookies. There's going to be some other way of identifying, right? And by the way, the law doesn't say cookies are outlawed. It's the platforms that are saying, well, I'm not going to remove cookies. Right. And I arbitrarily am going to decide that I decide what is in the best interests of consumers. And we allow that. And I know that in some parts of the legislative world, they're even applauded. Look at that company. It's making such progress on privacy. Bullshit. <laughs> they're doing it for their own bottom lines. So again, if you, if you again go back to places where standards have been established, standards have not been established to drive any one person's profitability over the others. If you step back and say, Western society has depended on democracy for years, democracy requires a free press. Yep. And many in the free press who talk about how data brokers, data, blah, 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 marketers, advertisers are abusing location data, etc. should first take a good hard look at how they are funded themselves. Your money is coming from advertising. What happens when that ad revenue goes away? The number of outlets, the number of businesses, the number of smaller businesses, which are not visible to the mainstream press, that get that tank either because their compliance costs have increased or they're just not able to keep up with the legal requirement. And suddenly, either publishers shut down, they can't afford, they don't have a business model anymore, or they- the Subscriptions won't or cover, And what yeah. they do is they increase the cost of subscriptions. And by the way, now, the gatekeepers are making sure that there is a toll, and they're cutting off every other mode under the guise of privacy to say, you have to come through the toll and pay the toll, which is pretty high. Right. So if you step back and look at it, you have to ask yourself, how is this in the benefit of the person on the street? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and that is why I like working with people who are pragmatic, who are looking for ways to solve these problems and yeah. find ways by which you're trying to balance interests 
rather than take extreme positions. Now, of course, there are people who um, who believe that the existing ecosystem needs to thrive because they make their money uh, they make their money that way. Um, they uh, they benefit in an opaque world. Yeah, many of them have set up big businesses on the back of that, and I totally agree with you. They should go away, but in but you don't want to throw the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. Which you, and, and there is actually increasing evidence that a lot of people who made the original set of laws are stopping and saying, wait a second, am I, am I harming my economy? If the digital economy is the economy of the future and I'm cutting off its exhaust, where is innovation going to come from my market? Well, the problem is, obviously, you know, we, we never did determine a Hippocratic oath for, for the digital industry. And so that ship has essentially left port. Um, let's bring it back to kind of another um, element of the future that is already here today, artificial intelligence and machine learning, which has really found its place as, as a means of helping process data, understand things better. In, in a future world with artificial intelligence getting only more powerful and possibly sentient, are there uses that you see uh, in the future that, that, that are not being um, applied today? Well, I think we're in the very uh, early days of the applications of AI in the sense there are a lot of repeatable tasks that are going towards AI um, and AI is being used more as a method by which you can do more complex tasks, which essentially repeat themselves in certain patterns. Yeah. Um, and I think we're now getting to the stage of saying, okay, we need to progress this along a little further. And there are certain parts where um, we're putting it to use or other parts of uh, the world are putting it to use in different ways. And now in the marketing industry, we're looking at, okay, maybe there's a way by which we can use these uh, algorithms in different ways to come up with innovative solutions. Um, there are going to be two challenges to that. The first one is for AI to succeed, you need data at scale and you need good quality data. And you need, uh, you need data that is coherent, uh, data that's, that is voluminous, and you need the patience to wait for the algorithm to get to a point where mm -hmm. you can trust its um, uh, where you can trust its output. The area that excites me the most is synthetic data creation, where it starts to plug the holes of data sets that you don't have. In the future, where regulation and privacy choices of consumers mean that certain uh, areas are going to be blind. Synthetic data creation and those kind of models will help fill the gap, which effectively mean that you can still posit what is likely to happen at a very high degree of accuracy, which doesn't exist today because many probabilistic models fail. But when you're when you've got enough data from the past and you've managed to see trends, and then AI is able to come up with ways of um, uh, creating those data sets, and ironically. Some of the industries that have tackled those problems are places like animation and gaming. So right. they they do this for a living. A lot of that can be brought in here, and I'm I'm very excited by that. Um, but again, there are going to be ethical implications for that because once right. once the potential gone, for for things going awry correct. seems big. Correct. Sorry, go ahead. And and that is why I think one of the 
before AI, before machine learning, before all of these fun things come in, the marketing industry needs to resolve a fundamental uh, uh, lack of appreciation around what it does. If you go to certain uh, certain places uh, of power where decisions are being made on what is allowed and what is not allowed, marketing and advertising are not seen as legitimate ways of communication. They're seen as manipulative. And this term surveillance capitalism, which I hate because it's a deliberately pejorative term that has been assigned to us. Yeah. Because somehow making money is wrong, but that's fine. I'm, I'll get over it. <laughs> but that is the belief. And until you don't get past that belief, anything and everything that you do will be seen through the light of manipulation. So it's even more critical with AI, where there is so much scope for being A, misunderstood, but also, you know, AI also is a sort of black box, right? It's it's very, it's it's harder to appreciate how it has arrived at that insight or intelligence because it is, it is, um, uh, you know, it is taking in huge amounts of data. It's making connections that human beings can't, or yeah. it is doing some very basic things. But for a second, if we focus on the former, it's going to be harder to explain. Right. And so when you fundamentally don't already have the trust of people, the more you do something that's less transparent, the harder it's going to be for you. So when, again, when I go back, when medicine says we're using AI to do something, there's a certain belief of trust and believability around it because there are standards set, there's a standards body, you have a long multi-year process before something gets cleared. Yep. There's a certain degree of comfort with that. It, that just doesn't exist in this space. So, which is why I really hope that we we actually spend some time now. And and, and what I, uh, you know, the reason why I'm saying this is because in the past, whenever the industry has faced big issues, CMOs have stood up and addressed it. They've made big speeches about it. They've taken strong directions. They're missing right now. <laughs> And they're, they're either saying that their legal teams are taking care of it or they're too scared to step on the stage. I don't know what it is. So there's an abdication of there's responsibility? A, there's an abdication. And I don't think there's a true appreciation of what how marketing is perceived in these places mm -hmm. and the impact that it can have. Like, can, like, if some of these laws actually come through of what's being discussed, you're going to struggle with reach Forget about everything else. The basic idea that I can aggregate a mass of people and I know how many people I've reached, you're not even going to be able to get that effectively. So forget about AI. You're going to be cut off at your legs. Yeah. And the fact that we as a marketing community are using industry associations so that we are anonymous rather than standing up and saying, I can tell you IPG is there in many of those rooms. I don't find anyone else in there. Mm -hmm. And that's a crying shame because it's 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 us. And then we look around and we see all the other tech players. We don't find marketers there. And marketers is not the industry bodies, but marketers stand up and be heard. You're big companies, you're big brands. And by the way, your brands have had relationships with people well before. Like some of these brands are 100, 100 years old. Yeah, or more. You have the right to have a relationship with the consumer. You can't. You know, and and you can't have others decide 
how you're going to have that relationship. And that, that harms business. Especially if you're going to complain that you can't do business the way Correct. you'd like to do. Correct. So. so you might as well stand up now and speak up about it. Yeah. And, 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 and make sure that your voice is at least heard. And it's, it's, I just feel like it's a lost opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that probably when we, when we don't turn up in these places, we're actually accepting their judgment that marketing is manipulation. Because we're not there. We're not there to defend ourselves. We don't want to defend ourselves. We just want to hope that this will all blow over. The big tech guys will get hit. And then we will emerge and we will still find a way to reach people. I'm I'm not a soothsayer, but I can tell you this much. Whatever little I know, that is not happening. Yeah. This thing is coming towards us in a big tidal wave. And it's and the, it is true that the big tech players might probably wash themselves up, get up, and move on. But the rest of us, and I include marketers in that, no matter how big you are, you are going to find a significant challenge all around the world. By the way, not just in the United States or in the big economies, where, I mean, the the, the reality is that today, when the EU does trade agreements with many countries around the world, data is a part of that agreement. So many countries, even if they're developing countries and they don't have a data policy in place, are moving towards that because otherwise there is no trade possible. So it's no longer something that's just in the US or in the UK or in a few countries in Europe. It's it's global. Yeah. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox now, but no, I really it's... want someone else on the soapbox. I, I don't want to be the <laughs> only guy saying, come on, industry, we, we can do a better job of that. And we're not cyber criminals and we shouldn't be lumped with them. And why the hell are we? Because we don't talk about it. And I, unfortunately, or fortunately, don't have those titles and I don't work for those companies in in the way many other much more qualified people do, who I look up to. And so I want the uh, PNGs of the world to stand up and say, here is our statement on privacy. Yes, we care about consumers, but we have a right to talk to people on fair terms that's fair to everybody yeah. and doesn't just depend on who collects the data, who transfers the data, who processes it. No, there should be an ability to talk to people and it should be a very public position. So Arun, do do IPG's clients want to hear this? And do you have the opportunity to communicate these messages to we, them? We because don't. ultimately, if you can exhort them to show up in the halls of Washington and influence legislation then maybe something can be done. Are they listening? Yes, they are. Increasingly so, which I'm happy to report. And one or two of them are turning up with us. Um, And they are actually, in fact, it is one of the, it never starts off being the topic of conversation in a pitch or in in a, you know, client conversation around data because people are looking for solutions. But increasingly what we're finding is that there is interest in saying, can I be a part of that? Mm-hmm. Can I sit alongside you because I want to influence some of this and I want to be heard? And we are doing all we can. We uh, we invite, we, we've actually done sessions where we've got um, the chief privacy, the chief data protection officers of various EU countries. We've just recently did that in uh, a few EU countries. We've done it in uh, the US where we get them, we get these data protection authorities face-to-face with our clients, like CMOs, not the legal teams, right. to actually talk about, and, and it is very surprising when that conversation happens because 
what the data protection authorities realize is no one in marketing is actually interested in pissing people off. <laughs> it's not our business. It's not what we want to do. Kind of the opposite. We, we don't want to irritate people. And that marketers actually have the same kind of aspirations as some of the data protection authorities do. They they also want fair rules. They also want they want the ability to talk to people, but they they don't really want to know what you had for breakfast today. Like they, that. The idea that we want to target people and we want to know every single individual and where they go, I think as uh, as the authorities start to appreciate the role of aggregation versus the role of what does personalization truly mean? Yeah. And what is the value of aggregation? And what are the use cases? What we start to see is magic in the room where the data protection authorities start to say, ah, well, you're not as bad as we thought you would be. And the marketers start saying, we now get a sense of why you're trying to do what you're doing. Like, okay, this is the misperception you have of our industry. We actually don't do this. And, you know, sometimes we make these claims, right? We say personalization and individual experiences, et cetera. And so for someone who's not in the industry who reads that, it feels like you have my data. It feels invasive. It feels invasive because of the language we use sometimes. But when we actually show people what we've got, then they go, but where is the individual? Well, there is no individual here. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, you can't actually go in there and type this person's name and find out where they've been. That's not. So it's, it is truly revelatory, but it needs to be more people. And I would welcome the industry joining us because this isn't just something that affects IPG and its clients. Right. It affects everybody. And this ultimately decides whether we're going to do cool things with AI or whether we're going to end up just figuring out last century's problem all over again, which is reach. (laughs) Fascinating conversation, Arun. Uh, Thank you very much for your thoughts and for your time. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Let's look forward to uh, another great guest tomorrow. But um, I wish you a good rest of the Can Lion. And uh, everyone listening, have a great day. Thank you very much, Michael. 